You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Hello. Alan Seiler. Hi. And Veronica Daschle. Hey. <laughs> this time I made other people laugh instead of y'all making me laugh. <laughs> Turn it around on them, Veronica. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So are we starting with news? Yeah, let's go. Woo! Okay. Um, let's see. There's the big news uh, that this is uh, June 8th. The big news that came out yesterday uh, comes from a tweet uh, from Tawny Newsom. She uh, tweeted out a photo of herself in a recording studio with the caption season three which is incredibly exciting because before we have season two of Lower Decks on air, we're already uh, fully underway on season three. Uh, there was some reports um, a couple of months ago that the writing was uh, fully underway and uh, was progressing well. And now we know that that process is, uh, should be pretty much done and the recording has already begun. So that's really kind of exciting i am so looking forward to seeing season two and i'm really glad to know that season three is already in the works yes yeah i mean they the show is supposed season two is supposed to start august 12th yeah so i mean they'll they'll be well into production you know oh, yeah. they're already producing episodes now i mean and, they, and lower decks is a show that has a pretty quick turnaround time as mm -hmm. far as these kind of shows go so i mean we could be looking at season three next year Absolutely. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that were the case. Yeah. January 2022. Are you being serious? No. No, but that oh. <laughs> sorry. I was like, holy I cow. I was being hopeful. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't count on that since we have Picard and Discovery and uh, Prodigy and all these other things that have to happen before then. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes sense too for them to continue the production line on on Lower Decks because it has to, like I said, it has such a quick, a quick turnaround time. And mm -hmm. these other shows require so much in the far, you know, as far as filming and post production and all that. Yeah. That if you've got a show that's working that people like and you can just keep on cranking them out, do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the only other uh, thing that I've got is um, an update from Paramount Plus. And so it's not specifically Star Trek, but it affects you know all of us in the modern Trek world. And uh, basically Paramount Plus has introduced a $5 uh, with ads plan, which only sounds exactly like $1 less than the plan they already had in place when they were CBS. Uh, so I don't know what the difference in that is other than a dollar less. And they are adding a My List uh, feature to their platform, which you know, I mean, since they have a tab for Star Trek, that's pretty much my list. Yeah. <laughs> Except for, well, I mean, I, I say that facetiously, but there are also a ton of documentaries on um, Smithsonian that I'm super, super into watching. Uh, so I will mostly, my list will be adding those. 
<laughs> yeah, we're we're already subscribed for I think I, we went for a year in advance on the uh, on the the com- no commercial free option. Yeah, and when we got Paramount Plus, I was really excited because you know Netflix it shows what you've already watched. So Paramount Plus, it was like all the Star Treks were blank, and I was like, we can start over watching them all, you know, <laughs> and check them off as we go. But right. the yeah. functionality on Paramount Plus is such that we end up watching the old shows on Netflix again. So yes. I'm, the more mm. features they can add. And the fewer times it starts an episode over from the beginning when I try to can resume watching it, yes. the better. So there, there are still bugs that they're working out on Paramount Plus. I'm glad they're adding the list feature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I support Paramount Plus and I, I hope they continue to succeed. Yep. Same here. I've been a $10 a month, no ads since day one of CBS All Access and wow. continue to be so from... Uh, yeah, it, you know, all these people who are excited about, you know, the new, all these new Star Trek shows that are coming out, you're welcome. <laughs> Alan's been footing the bill. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all from my pocket. So when Tawny Newsome tweets that they're starting season three of Lower Decks, well, you know, that's because of me. So. <laughs> and that's all I got this week. I just got back from vacation. So I kind of behind on all this a lot of stuff so that's all that i've seen uh for this week and keith you had some trek history for us yeah quite quite a few things um i just really looked at the the date june 8th and also a couple of days going around that because uh, there was a couple of things that we missed last week because we didn't do any history uh one of the things that I, i found was on this day in June, on June 3rd, going back five days in 1969, was the airing of the final episode of the original series, Star Trek, Turnabout Intruder. Mm. Now said, you know, we all know about that. <laughs> Generally considered to be one of the worst the original series of very sexist show that talks about the fact that women could be captain. And I know there's been debates online about whether that show says women can't be captain. It absolutely says that women can't be captain. It's been retconned later greatly, but it's um, it was a horrible way for the series to go out. And of course, nobody at the time knew that what would come. And fortunately, that was not the last word in Star Trek. It's um, I watched it recently for some reason, and there's actually you see as all of the Star Trek, a lot of people in that show, including the guest star, they have really good acting ability. It's just you always hear critics sometimes talk about a bad script with good actors. And boy, was that a bad script with good actors. Uh, William Shatner, the scene where William Shatner's filing his nails where Bones is talking to him probably goes down as one of the worst scenes in Star Trek. Uh, and again, thank gosh, that wasn't the only the last word in Star Trek when he went out on that episode. Yeah, a lot of those season three episodes, Shatner, it gets a lot of guff for sort of hamming it up. But to right. me, it seems like. He knew the, sh- the show's in trouble. They don't have as much money. They don't have as much time. So it's like, I'm going to act so hard and I'm going <laughs> to save this. I mean, there's, there's never a time when you feel like Shatner just is just phoning it in. You know what this I mean? Like, you yeah. want me to play a woman? I'm going to be the most womanly woman you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to be the womanest woman you've ever seen. <laughs> the other thing, too, is um, the thing about uh, women can't be starship captains uh, plays very very, very specifically into our main topic tonight. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm really point. glad that this came up. So that's a very good point. One last thing about that episode. There was for the time it had some really interesting concepts because there's a scene 
when um, supposedly Janice Lester and Kirk's body is basically trying to seduce the doctor, the guy who is her cohort. And there's some stuff that I know in 69 probably made people feel uncomfortable because if you look at the scene, Shatner grabs the guy's shoulder kind of suggestively and he basically saying to him, if you love me, you'll do this for me. And I know at the time the senses are probably, hey, but <laughs> to your point, Charles, he pulled it off. They gave him the script and he did it. Yeah, and I forget the name of the actress who plays Janice Lester, but people get so focused on Shatner's performances um, as Janice Lester, they forget that she played Kirk. And she yes. was the first actor other than Shatner to play Captain Kirk. And I thought she mm -hmm. did a great job. Mm -hmm. She did a yeah. phenomenal job. And it's just to, to what Alan is saying, it's just sad that it was that time because she yeah. does a really good job playing Kirk. I could I would have loved seeing her do other things. Yeah. Um, also, during this week in history, June 4th, 1982, in American theaters, the Star Trek II, the Rathacon premiered. I've heard good things. Yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I thought most people, most people's lights, the best of the original series movies. I personally prefer Search for Spock. It's my favorite of the original series movies. But Rathacon is a really good one. And it was so great. Those of a certain age, those of us who grew up watching him, it was so wild to see Ricardo Montalban return to that role after having been Mr. Rourke on television. And if you were around at the time, the jokes all over television about Mr. Rourke is now going to come back and play Khan. It was a great time. It was a really exciting time to see that movie. And I got to say, Montalban knocked it out of the park again, playing Khan. Yeah, he's great in that. Yeah, absolutely. That one. Also... On this date in 1987, the first week of filming on TNG was completed. They were filming the episode Encounter at Farpoint. Okay. Uh, another episode that eh, not, not some people's favorite. Some people love it. It, um, it showed, I think, what the series was going to become. And that was a really exciting time for those of us who were alive at that time. We were track fans. We were following all the news on what was going on. Were you guys following it back then when it was going to come out? Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. I was six. Sorry, I, was <laughs> okay. I, I was watching Transformers or He-Man at the time. Wait, what, 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 what year was it? 86. 80, 86 or 87? 87. Sorry. 87. Okay. Uh, when in 87? June 8th. Yeah, this is June. Today. Oh, 87. okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I was, I was two and two months. Yeah. So, I knew everything about Star Trek. I'm sorry. The question oh. is, were you keeping up with the Trek news? Thank you. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> you Absolutely. <laughs> From my high chair. <laughs> also, on this day in 1994, the first draft of the Voyager's episode Caretaker was finalized and delivered to the Paramount exec which started yet another legendary show, which um, I've mentioned more than once. Voyager is my least favorite of the series and has been my least watched, but that's not saying it's a bad series. I have been on a rewatch. I'm just about finished. Got about six episodes left. That's a really good series. Also really Yeah, good. I mean, it's Star Trek, first of all. Yeah. Well, of yeah, course, it's, no it's going to be really good. Exactly. No bad Trek. That's for darn sure. Correct. <laughs> and a couple of birthdays I found very interesting. On this day, June 8th, 1941, one Jesse Lawrence Ferguson was born. For those who don't know, and I'm sure that name doesn't ring a bell, Jesse Lawrence Ferguson played Lutan in the much maligned Next Generation episode Code of Honor. Ooh. And for those who don't, yeah, right. And for those who don't know what Code of Honor is, the best way to say it, it's the one with the black people on the planet who look like they're some kind of funky people from Arabian Nights. 
And I was <laughs> that's the way. <laughs> it is generally called a racist episode. I think it's a clueless episode more than I think it's racist. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I saw something very interesting. I was listening to two other people who had watched the episode, and one guy said that um, one guy who was a critic who was reviewing it, he watched it two or three times, and then he listened to it. And he said if he listened to it and he didn't know that those are supposed to be black people and he didn't see them, it's not nearly as bad a show as as he looked at it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very interesting. But overall, it's it's not a very good show. Um, I was reading up on it and I saw a quote from Jonathan Frakes from just last year. And Jonathan Frakes said, I hate that we made that racist piece of shite, my word. And so I started <laughs> for him. Beast Crosby also said she hated the episode. So not a very well thought of episode of Next Generation. Yeah. I, I remember that less about the the race thing and more about Tasha Yar being like a woman is strong. And the entirety <laughs> yes. of the episode. Yeah. 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 It was the typical 90s um, third or fourth episode of this first season. Yeah. Like yeah. Ladies in this case. But yeah, it's. Yeah. It's, it's back when you had, a, if you had a strong woman, she had to say, I'm a strong woman uh, at some right. point. So everybody would know. Man. You know? Yeah. Like there's yeah. the whole thing when the, there's a whole thing when the, when the security guard for the other side comes up to Picard and she flips him and then she takes him to the holodeck and she shows him how she's fighting the gang. So you're right. It was all this. Wow. Look at that. Women can be tough. Women can be security guards too. So that was a little heavy handed back then. Yes. Also another two other birthdays. Um, 1939, June 18th, one Bernie Casey was born. Okay. Now hey, also, nice. yeah. Now Charles and Veronica, you're exempt from this as well. Alan, you may remember. <laughs> <laughs> but Bernie Casey, before he did all the stuff that people knew of with Star Trek, Bernie Casey was an incredibly diverse actor. He appeared in movies like Brian's Song. He was in the streets of San Francisco. He was a key actor in what was called the black exploitation films of the late 60s and early 70s. He was in movies like Hitman, which is a really funny one. And Cleopatra Jones, he starred in Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. Of course, his greatest fame to Star Trek fans would be that he played Cisco's great friend, Calvin Hudson, mm-hmm. in Deep Space Nine, who, spoilers, for those who haven't seen DS9, ultimately became one of the Marquis and broke Cisco's heart. And later on, he, well, let's just say, I think Calvin was gotten with the purge of the Marquis that we heard about, never saw it was on screen. We lost Bernie Casey back in 2017, unfortunately. Another role that Bernie Casey may have played that some of you may have seen is he played a lead gargoyle in the movie by the name Gargoyles. Mm. If you have never seen that, it's a really funny movie that you should check out. Okay. What'd you guys think I'm in uh, D69? I-, I thought it was great. Um... You know, I like the dynamic between him and Cisco, and I like Cisco having to face a friend and comrade who's taken the other side. I thought their their scenes together were very powerful. Yeah, I was I was upset that his uh, he didn't get a, a good send off in the series. He Cisco was told that uh, he was that he died. We never saw that. It was unfortunate. Mm. And one last birthday on this date, June eighth, in nineteen thirty six, and this actor is the only one that's still with us. In Philadelphia, James William Ercolani. Hope I pronounced that. Ercolani was born, also known as James Darren. Yay! Yeah. Oh, very and, nice. Yeah, James Darren, who again, for people of a certain age, it was a singer, actor, director. He was really known for the beach movies of the sixties and the seventies. He was a heartthrob back in the day. He did a lot of romantic comedies. He was um. 
he was a guy. He was a, he was a really big deal back then. I knew him from the Time Tunnel. I love yes, the yes. Time Tunnel all his Irwin Allen shows. So when he turned up on Deep Space Nine, and I was like, he's from the Time Tunnel. You know? right. Yeah. And what's cool about that is getting James Dyron to play Tony Newman in the Time Tunnel was considered a big score because, again, this is in the late 60s. He was he was a hot heartthrob, and he was known for that turtleneck. That was really cool <laughs> back in the day. So he was, he was styling. He was a stylish, cool guy. And again, as you mentioned, uh, Charles, he is known to us as playing Vic Fontaine, the holographic character brought back by Dr. Bashir in Deep Space Nine, who I got to say is one of the best characters I've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah, Vic Fontaine's a great character and a, a great twist and use of the hologram character. Yeah. We've seen other holograms who gain sentience and right. that sort of thing. Um, but I like the way that Vic Fontaine was used, although I still don't understand that Mirror Universe episode where he was real. <laughs> yeah. kind of strange right yeah you know, is there some kind of weird bleed through there something like that and i like the fact that they found a way to use james darren's real life singing talent sometimes it's so heavy-handed when you have an actor and they let them perform like singing it it seems forced but since he was a, he was a nightclub singer in the 1960s i thought it really worked yeah. um, one last star trek connection uh charles going back to it in time tunnel james darren also acted with lee merriweather mm-hmm. who was part yep. of the time tunnel group yeah, and Whit Bissell, who was in the Trouble with Tribbles, was also part of Project TikTok. Good, good <laughs> point and good call. I got to tell you, but I wouldn't have gotten that name. Good one. <laughs> and that's all the Star Trek history we got for this week. Oh all no! Right. Oh no! There is a uh-huh. birthday that you missed. Uh oh. Who did I miss? Uh oh. Well, I happen to know this because it's a Doctor Who thing, but today. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there is a connection. Oh, Today okay. is the birthday of Sixth Doctor Colin Baker. I did see that, but what's the Who, connection? Okay, well, he appeared in an episode of Star Trek Continues, yep. one of the you know less official offshoots uh, of the franchise. Uh, he played a character called uh, Amph- Amphidamus, I think it is. I haven't watched the episode in a long time. Uh, the episode was called The White Iris. Uh, it was from 2015. And he actually came to uh, Kingsland, Georgia, to film on the uh, on the sets that they have built out there, the uh, the Enterprise sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go, one more Star Trek, pretty cool, of, in a roundabout way. Yeah. Birthday, the White Iris is a good one too. It um, is, it is, yeah. So sure. If you're going to check out a fan film, I, I definitely recommend Star Trek Continues. It's like like Alan said, it's not official Star Trek, right? But it's uh, as close as you can get on a fan film. Yeah, right. It's it's really good, very good. Yeah. All right, then we're going to take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show, and then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. 
Join us this winter as we watch changes in the DC Universe unfold. We'll keep you informed on DC News, we'll review the future state event, and of course, we'll be talking the Arrowverse shows when they return this January. Thanks for letting us be a part of your DC Comics journey, and thanks for listening to the Earth Station DCU podcast. Part of the ESO Network! Today we're talking about a brand new documentary uh, that's just been released on Paramount Plus on June 3rd. It's called Woman in Motion, and it is uh, it focuses on uh, Nichelle Nichols and uh, the work that she did with NASA to recruit a more diverse uh, cast of astronauts and engineers and things like that uh, as NASA is moving into the shuttle program. Um, the documentary was first released in 2019. It had its theatrical release earlier this year uh, but Paramount Plus has just started running it uh, in, within the past week um, and I remember back on uh, First Contact Day uh, when they released all the the trailers that you expected they were going to release uh, Discovery Season 4 and news about Lower Decks and you know all these things the first images of Janeway in Prodigy all this stuff came out but there was one thing that we didn't expect and that was a, a trailer for this documentary and i was so excited to see that that was going to be released on paramount plus that we would actually get to see it because uh, i hadn't seen it before and uh, this is a topic that i'm really really uh, passionate about growing up in central florida you know everything revolves around well not everything uh, but a lot of stuff revolves around the space program and it, you know you're you live in an area where you can see shuttle launches from your backyard. You know, you just step outside and there's the shuttle. And you sort of grow up with this uh, kind of sense of ownership and participation in the, in the uh, space program. So uh, I was really excited to see this chapter of it that doesn't get talked about as much. So what did you guys think of this, of Woman in Motion? Could you really see shuttles from your backyard? Is that literal? Oh, absolutely. Oh, that is absolutely literal. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, amazing. you would, you know, you would know the, the launch day, you know, uh -huh. that there's a possibility oh, of a wow. launch being scrubbed or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and you can just walk out and, and there it is, uh, depending on its trajectory, it depending on, you know, with how clear your view is, where the tree line is and stuff like that. But the, the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life was watching night launches, oh. which are just the most spectacular Thing that's gotta be amazing that you can imagine and i would climb up on the roof of my house so i could watch as much of it as i possibly could from the ground up and i would just stand there and watch it until it the glow faded into the night sky it was just incredible that to me sounds like a scene from a movie with like little <laughs> alan in like the 70s on his roof watching the shuttle launches and you know <laughs> and then to do it right he's got to be a starship captain later but then you know right, exactly. a couple hundred years or aliens to come take you away exactly <laughs> i i loved the documentary i thought it was i thought it was great and I'm, i wasn't sure how i would react to it some of some of the because the, the original series stuff and then the old NASA stuff all hits me because mm -hmm. I've loved that stuff since I was so young. Right. Sometimes it hits me in a very emotional place. And then sometimes because I've seen so much of it and heard the stories so many times over the years, it's sometimes that I'm nitpicking it. 
and think, well, that story was debunked. That you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm very pleased that this this all hit me. In a, I mean, I got misty eyed several times watching. Oh this. yeah, I mean, it, it's such a gr- a great angle to focus on how she used her pop culture character and status mm-hmm. to to affect a real change and yes. to start building that Star Trek future. That you know, from the from the time that we were all very young, you sort of learn that that the future that's diverse, that's the entire human race going out into the space together is just what we're aspiring towards. That's what Star Trek is about. And mm-hmm. then to see that being implemented in part because of Star Trek. Right. I thought it was great. And I thought it was very well told. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there was, um, there was a skit that Richard Pryor did once and it's Richard Pryor. So, you know, it was off color and there was a skit that Richard Pryor did once, I believe it was on Saturday Night Live, where he was telling the joke and he said, he was talking about how in a lot of science fiction, he said, yeah, you know, there ain't no black people in the future. That's because they don't intend for us to be around in the future. And he made this joke about that. And I think that to the point, you know, going back to those of us of a certain age, remember when that was a, a, a question, a conversation. And also, if you think about the whole, the, to your point, Charles, the absolutely well-known story about how she almost quit Star Trek because she mm-hmm. felt that, I mean, and, and again, I, I know the episode she's talking about is the Corbomite Maneuver. And literally that entire show, she pretty much only says, hailing frequencies open because Kirk keeps going, ship the ship. And at the end, if you watch that, you could tell like the fourth time she said it, she sounds bored. Even on the, she, hailing frequencies open. You can tell. Yeah. And you're right. And to go from that and then, of course, them meet with Martin Luther King and so forth. Even after that show went, well, a lot of people, especially with science fiction back in the day, that could have been almost it. She could have just kind of faded away. But I think it's so cool that she used that and had an interest and did something else with it, not just making B movies and, and even just going to conventions. She said, I'm going to do something with this. And I think that's what it was all about. Pay it forward. Let the next generation go further than you went. So I, I think that's I think that's always inspirational. So even if you hear the story a million times and you think about it, it's an amazing thing to think about. So for, for me, almost all of this was new story, mm. <laughs> with the except of the MLK stuff, of course. Um, she was on Star Trek? <laughs> and the fact that she was on Star Trek, but I like I didn't know anything about any of the other stuff or that Gene mm. Roddenberry basically made a character for her because he wanted her on his series. Um, and to hear her talk about how they had this great character development in the first script and then they just they're in the first draft and then it just kind of shrunk to nothing was yeah. was pretty fascinating. Um mm-hmm. and it makes me want to know like what what else did they decide to take out from the original draft. Yeah. Well, if you watch Uhura in the early episodes, she's a more interesting character and has more interesting yeah. things to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of episodes like Charlie X, like the yeah. man trap where she has little flirtations with Spock. She's singing on right. the, you know, the, she, she has a life on the ship. Mm-hmm. And then as the show goes along, yeah, she becomes the hailing frequencies are open. I mean, right. to the yeah. point where, you know, nomad erased her memory. And it's just oh, like she's just gonna learn her memory oh, again. Gosh. And by the Bluey. next episode, she's fine. <laughs> you <Right>. know? <laughs> Bluey. Oh god, that's sure. I still can't get with that one. Yeah, people try to retcon that one and see what the heck did Nomad do. Cause you're right, I remember that McCoy said something like she'd be on college level by the next week. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So the the documentary uh you can basically slice up into thirds. Mm-hmm. The first third deals with uh her upbringing, her early career. Uh, her Star Trek years and Star Trek cancellation. Um, and I was really, uh, even though I know a lot about the stuff that went on in that era, I was really glad to hear 
some new stories about her time with Duke Ellington, mm-hmm. which is something I've, I've knew that she, you know, toured with, but I never really heard any stories about. Yeah. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed that bit. Um, you get the, the, the Dr. King story and the interracial kiss story, which, you know, you kind of always get with Nichelle. Um, But, you know, they're amazing stories. And if, if that was, you know, if Dr. King was my story, I would tell it every time I met a new person, (laughs) but it's, it's interesting how it, how that story particularly uh, folds into the narrative of this document. So specifically that, that you are on this show, please don't leave the show because you are making a difference. In, in not only to to people of color, not only to women, but to everybody, you were you were helping to reshape a, a a pattern of thought, and I just thought that was incredible. It, it, that it, it kind of sheds new light on that story. Yeah, I think it's the it's the it's a bittersweet. It's kind of the good and the bad of, because if you think about it, what literally at that time what he was saying is literally just sitting there and almost saying nothing was important. But it was. It was kind of just even having Sulu, even if he didn't have a big role mm-hmm. back in that day, that was important to so see an Asian man, just later mm-hmm. Russian, to see a black woman, not just a black woman, but a woman who's pretty recently from Africa because she is uh, she's a Swahili. And at that time, yeah, that was the, that was I think that is the thing about it is the symbolism. It's frustrating. But the fact literally is just just being there was important at that time. And then you open the door for the next ones that come later. And of course, I think it's kind of cool that later on, I believe the first female starship captain shown was a black woman, right? Madge yep. Sinclair and right. um, the voyage home. So yep. pay it forward. <laughs> and even today, I mean, there's there are two Star Trek series on the air where the main mm-hmm. cast member, the star of the show is a black woman. Yes. Right. You know? Yes. Right. So we have come many, come far many ways. I, was, I just I, I just think what you're saying, Alan, what you're saying, Charles, is just always wild because, as you say, you get used to this stuff. But me being alive in those times, you start when I listen to those things again, I do get kind of teared up because I know like my late father, the stuff he dealt with, the racism he dealt with. And my, like my I'm getting personal here, but like my my late father worked at a job for 15 years with two guys call him the N word almost every day. And and, you know, now me, you know, I work in IT and stuff. I'm like, well, I just quit. What can my dad do? He had an eighth grade education back then. He had to suck it up and take it. And so I, I think it's just amazing to yeah, your yeah. point about, um, in some ways it's cliched, but when you listen to that journey again, not just for a black woman, but for a woman in that time, and you think about, and it's so easy sometimes for us to go, I wouldn't yeah. deal with that. You didn't have any options. You, know, you didn't have any options. And so it's, it's a great story mm-hmm. to right. see that. Also a good story to tell you never to give up. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I, I really liked... Um, uh, there was a little part in the story that she mm-hmm. was telling about uh, touring with Duke Ellington, where she, uh, an exchange between the two of them, taught her the lesson to be herself, right. to not emulate anyone else, yeah. to to stand on her own two feet. And I think that that really set the tone for the entire right. uh, rest of the story that was told over the 90 minutes. Yeah. And in that early section, but also throughout the whole thing, they had just great use of photography and a lot of images yeah. of Nichelle at that time that I hadn't mm-hmm. seen. Yeah. She was young and performing. Yeah, um, true. And that sort of continues on through the NASA years. That there's a lot of just great photos of absolutely. Video of what absolutely. Was going on. Okay. So moving into the, the middle and the main section, uh, the main section really dealt deals with, um, her involvement, her getting involved with NASA 
and uh, the actual work that she did to recruit uh, new staff members. Um, so the, uh, the Saturn program had ended and uh, NASA had downsized considerably. And as they're moving into gearing up the shuttle program, uh, they're understaffed. They have to hire new talent and they're not getting any new talent. They're not getting enough applicants. Um, and uh, so they're uh, talking about with Nichelle, how do we get more people? And she says, and you know, there was this amazing uh, clip from Hillary Clinton uh, where she says she applied to be an astronaut. She grew up wanting to be an astronaut. She applied to the program and NASA told her, women are not being considered for that job right now. Huh, amazing. And I just think that's amazing. And so they are actively ignoring, you know, a huge pool of talent mm -hmm. in a time when they need talent. And I always find what's so funny about that, Alan, is physiologically, women are better suited for space flight travel than men are because there's practicality. Women tend to be smaller than men. They use less oxygen. And biologically, it has been shown physiologically that women actually handle stress better than men, even though, it, you know, stereotypically it's said so. Mm. And women tend to have faster reflexes than men. So in a lot of ways, women are actually kind of tailor-made to be astronauts in a time we got to worry about things like oxygen and, and, and reflexes and stuff like that. So I always found that kind of funny, too, when you hear about that. That was just almost inconceivable at that time. Yeah, it was also interesting when the... Um one astronaut was talking about um, how she was like one of mm -hmm. 36 women. There's like 144 men that started the program and 24 of the women got through and like 80 of the men got through. So there was like double the number of men, but mm. percentage wise was uh, a significantly higher of the women that actually wow. went th got through the program. Mm. Right. And I think that she said that she had applied four times to be an astronaut mm -hmm. and was denied every time. Uh, and it wasn't until this change of uh, attitude on her fifth time, she, she got through the program. But yeah. um, I mean, that's just astounding. You know, I remember growing up in the sixties and uh, I remember specifically, I can tell you exactly where I was the first time I heard a conversation about women as a population getting paid uh, a lesser percentage for doing the same work as men. And I just, I could not understand that. That just didn't seem logical to me that you would have, uh, you know, somebody, two different people doing the same job and you would pay one of them 75% of what the other one is paying or 50% of what the other one is being paid. And I just, that just made zero sense to me. And I couldn't, I, I figured that has to be a lie, but no. <laughs> I have bad news for you, Alan. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and as much as I'm, I admire the the old Jiminy astronauts and the early NASA space program. They're absolutely right to point out that it was a an old boys club, a white boys club. Yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing is is funny when you say that um, when y'all say that about the women, and you also you talk about Michelle Nichols. That also puts me in mind that another person we talked about, which is the actress Susan Oliver from the original series, because you know she was a pilot in real life and uh, a fantastic pilot, and she of course right. was in the, the the series pilot, and she accomplished so much as a pilot that she could only go so far. She also was an, a pretty decent director, but if, again, at that time, the opportunities were rather limited for what she could do. Mm. Yeah.
Um, I think it's interesting too that um, Nichelle was talking about uh, a, you know going to a presentation, and uh, and the the whole thought of uh, here's the space program. You have the astronauts, you have the directors, you have the the control room. These are the things that people see. Right. And and she had this realization that you know space should be for everyone but she did not see herself in any of those things mm. and it was interesting when she uh after she uh gets involved in the national space institute and then she visits nasa for the first time and she's walking through the offices at nasa and it's fully diverse and she says why yeah. isn't this what the public is seeing why isn't the visible part of nasa reflective of this and I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I thought that was so uh, so enlightening. Yeah, because one of the things that still fascinates me is even now is like when you watch Star Trek, for example, Wesley Crusher gets in a shuttle and he takes off and he's in orbit. It's like two people. But to your point, Alan, even now, a space launch has hundreds, thousands of people behind it. You know, even getting a probe to Mars, a probe to Jupiter, between building it and and mission control, there's thousands of people behind one one launch. And to your point mm -hmm. and calculations. Absolutely. Yeah. And calculations. Exactly right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's all that stuff going on. Kind of, and um, so I agree with you. There. And I remember when I was watching one of my favorite documentaries of all times um, is Apollo 11. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but oh, yes. it is phenomenally good. And I remember watching that and they were just showing some of the people at Mission Control. And I, you know, I, I saw a black guy. My wife and I were watching. Hey, was that a black guy? Hey, who's a black guy? We didn't, we didn't know. I, I did. Like, hey, there was a brother? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, that's what we do. We, we wired back. But to your point, there's so much behind the scenes that you don't know about and that you don't see because mm -hmm. you got thousands of people to put like three guys on the moon or two on the moon and one in orbit around the moon or something like that. And even now, and that's where a lot of the opportunities are too. Because frankly, Frankly, race aside, not, not many people are going to qualify for an astronaut mm -hmm. yeah. for a mm -hmm. whole bunch of reasons, but all the other stuff right. that needs to be done. Right. But the, the shuttle program was going to be a whole different thing mm. because before that, it was always military personnel. They, right. were, uh, they were test pilots. They were trained. Mm -hmm. And this was going to be open up to more civilians, right. to doctors and engineers and scientists. And, you know, all disciplines are going to be represented on uh, this, the shuttle program mm -hmm. because of the difference of the mission that it's going to be performing. And I, I really enjoyed the part where uh, Nichelle is talking to the director of NASA and, you know, he's he's saying, well, how can we you say we need more diversity? I agree. How do we make this happen? What is it that needs to happen? And she said, and I quote, I think you need to get someone immediately with credibility and high visibility whom they will believe when they speak. Someone they know would not be talking to them if NASA wasn't serious. And he said, how about Lieutenant Uhura? <laughs> I loved that. that. And really she initially, good. she was skeptical at first right. because she said, it's going to come across as a gimmick. It's not going to be believable. And he said, it will be believable if they hear you speak for five minutes because she had become so passionate and so uh, involved in, uh, in this uh, program. And I, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. I, in it, to your point, Alan, I remember that 
Shut up. Take that part out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the laughing part. Um, oh, that part. Yeah. No, I'm just worried you're stealing Keith's catchphrase. <laughs> right, know, exactly. <laughs> it's infectious. <Yes. laughs> um, it spreads like a virus. Okay. You may continue, Veronica. Uh, when it was significantly later in the uh, documentary when they were talking about the recruiting, their recruiting um, t- uh, styles. And the military was like, well, we have this certain style and we're going to stick to that. And she was like, well, the civilians don't have to stick to that, right? <laughs> that was, that's, that's <laughs> one of the most memorable moments for me in the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> was that a direct quote? Yes. I think that's a really good point, Brian, because I know as we record this in the news recently, I'm not going to call names, but in the news recently here in the United States, there has been a little bit of a debate about someone calling out the new recruiting methods used by the United States military mm. versus the old school. And there was a debate about that. And there was there was a I'll just say a politician was criticizing the new recruiting commercials and stuff as too quote unquote woke because there was a focus on women and people of color and things like that. And they were trying to say, we're not looking for Rambo. So I think it's very interesting what you said about that and how hmm. not just who you recruit, but how you recruit them, you know, matters, how you, how you present it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the third part of the documentary really involves the legacy of uh, Nichelle's recruitment program and talks to a lot of the people who came into the program because of that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, really powerful and made such a statement. And you get people like um, May Jameson, May Jameson. Uh Right. So you get people like May Jameson, who uh, was the first black woman astronaut. And of course, who appeared in a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Uh, And I and it was I just think that that was such a, a neat thing to see all the people that, you know, and some and a lot of the people who were on Challenger when it was lost yeah i mean you know i mean that that part really i mean i've seen the footage of challenger so many times but in this case when it's nichelle and she's talking about these people that she personally knew yeah Mm -hmm. you know um and and she and she can't finish the segment that she's talking about I mean, that really hit to me because, you know, when I talk about going out into your backyard or standing up on your roof and watching a shuttle launch, seeing Challenger as it happened was devastating. And and I mean, on a personal level, to me, it was devastating. But to basically the Central Florida community, it was devastating. I mean, it was horrendous. And the fact that the shuttle program was grounded for two and a half years before the next launch was unthinkable at the time. I mean, it was just, it was, it was so dark, you know, and, and you, and, and you, there was a part of you that kind of lost hope because this, the shuttle program had gotten more and more confident. Uh, Launches were coming more and more frequently. Mm -hmm, Uh, There mm -hmm. was almost kind of a cockiness to it. And I think a lot of the public and even the news outlets were becoming very complacent about it because it was becoming a regular yeah. thing. Right. It's a shuttle launch. And the, the, the crazy thing about Challenger is that it was so incredibly high profile. Uh, not only was it one of the most uh, diverse crew that was on the ship, but you had 
Christy McAuliffe, yes. the, the teacher, yeah. the, the civilian, and uh, the private citizen. And there was so much media attention, and it really sort of started to um, reinvigorate public interest in the space program, which is exactly what uh, the, the presidency wanted to happen. They wanted to reinvigorate interest, and it did its job. But then the entire country and the entire world is watching this launch and then that thing happens and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, I was at college when that happened. And I remember I walked into the student union center and, and a bunch of my buddies were at a table and I said, what's up? And they said, space shuttle blew up. And I started laughing because I, I knew they were joking. I, mm. I, I, and I said, ha ha. And then I looked around like, wait, are you serious? Because mm. I had, I've been running or something that I didn't know. So yeah, I remember that. And I remember, gosh, to your point, I remember the downtime, the, the years. And I remember, you know, to this day, there are also documentaries about the people who worked on that program, like the guy who said he could have made the call, you know, not to launch it. And I don't, he will never sleep. You know, he will never know a night's peak. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Absolutely. And, and I remember, like you said, when the, and when it came back, the collective holding of the breath when that launch went. I'll never Absolutely. forget that. Everybody was just hold. I don't think anybody breathed until that thing got up into space, to be honest. And then, of course, the reentry. You never know, because then we lost one on reentry um, years later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Columbia. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. About almost a decade later. Right. So when Challenger happened, I was not yet in school. I was, what was that, 83, 84? So I'd have been three or four. So that was a big deal when I was starting school and then the shuttle program came mm. back and the Challenger was something that you learned about in school when I was, when I was yeah. very young. So I was, I, yeah, I don't know that I was emotionally ready for the documentary to go there. I, I, I didn't mm -hmm. realize there was the, the challenger connection to what Nichelle had done, but then tying that, mm. like you say, not only to the, the challenger incident, but then tying it back personally to Nichelle Nichols. Um, yeah, that got me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because uh, McNair had come into the program yeah. because of her and Judy Resnick had come in because of her and she and Judy Resnick had become such good yeah. friends. Oh, that's and God, that just I mean, and the interesting thing is that they didn't show very much of the explosion footage. Yeah. Yeah. They cut it. Uh, they showed the initial flash and that and they cut it. And there was so much more that they could have put in. But I think that Nichelle's reaction to it and this is we're talking 40 years later yeah and and this is the reaction that that she still has to that was so much more powerful than watching the the, the gruesomeness of the yeah. explosion right. you know play out yeah, yeah. right mm. yeah i remember too i remember to this day i have a hard time watching it again because the most horrifying thing is the um is the kids at mccullough school watching on yeah. television and people's yeah. family members were down and i'll never forget that you see people looking up cheering and then they're just staring that's hard to look at yeah, yeah mm -hmm. that's hard even a mission the voice of mission control the guy was stunned even he didn't know what to say for a minute so yeah yeah i can only imagine and that's me from a distance from texas i can only imagine someone like michelle who knew these people mm. and what it must have felt but i will say i thought that ronald reagan at the time i thought he gave a lovely speech when he, when he did the thing about when they slipped the surly yeah. bonds i always thought that yeah. was good and i do think that that was the time when to your point uh, alan there was doubt but that was a time when, uh, as a nation we kind of said we got to do this and I think that was the fantastic thing about it. Mm -hmm. we, we, we kept pushing for it even. Mm -hmm. And then we had to say this, these things come, you know, great reward comes to great risk. Yeah. And then of course there was a huge debate about do you, to your point, then it was back to, do we want to put civilians here or do we go back to military people? Right. But there's, it's not only, you know, you're saying it, it's a, a great risk, 
it's not just that in a more practical sense, it's a great expense. Yeah. And that's yeah. really kind of what it came down to uh, mm-hmm. that this is, this was a much more expensive program than they expected it would be because right. uh, the, the whole, like, this is a reusable ship. We can, it will build a fleet and they'll go up and yeah. come back and we'll, they'll, we'll, you know, set them up again. Um, the, the turnaround wasn't nearly as quick as they right. thought it was going to be because, Every system had to be combed over and, yep. you know, uh, heating tiles had to be replaced and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, it was a long process and the government wanted launches quicker and quicker and quicker. Right. And they're, so they're stretching themselves trying to meet this schedule. And, you know, and, and when uh, Challenger uh, goes, there was, that was the first time that two launches were on the pad at the same time. Right. And the, 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 the launch before it had been pushed back almost a month because of four attempts to launch that all got scrubbed for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until their fifth attempt that they went up and that put Challenger behind schedule, but it's been sitting on the pad for all this time, just waiting to go. And oh, anyway, yeah. sorry, this is a subject I, I get really <laughs> excited about and really passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> I always found it, and too, I think if you look at the arc of her life with this story, to your point, it was, mm. um, I mean, not many people can say they've done things such as been with someone as famous as someone like Duke Ellington, and then become part of what is just an absolutely cultural phenomenon in Star Trek, but then turn it into something realistic. And I always think that what's also interesting about the arc of her life is, as we all know now, she's suffering from dementia. Yeah. And so her her mind is slowly slipping away from her, which is so sad. But yeah. at the same time, look at the legacy that she got to leave behind. And I think it's a great lesson to all of us is you you got to, you know, you got to go for it because, you you know, they say life is short. You just don't know. I mean, she may be around for a long time physically, but a lot of her accomplishments she may start forgetting. And I think that but it's such a great story that she absolutely she utilized everything she had in life. I mean, every opportunity she made opportunities. I think that's just yeah. fantastic. Think about. Just, just think about uh, if Star Trek hadn't come along. Yeah. You know, if she hadn't gone to L.A. and started acting because she fully expected her career to be in musical theater. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be a dancer. She wanted to be a singer. She wanted to be a performer. Acting wasn't really on her radar at first. Right. And had Star Trek not come along, just think how much different not only her life would be, but the the whole like face of the space program wouldn't have changed the way that it changed. Absolutely. Or it would have. I think it would have. It would have eventually. There would have been some impetus, but it wouldn't have happened the way that it did or when it did. Right. And I just think that's incredible. Yeah. And I think Nichelle Nichols would have found success at whatever she had done, whether oh, yes. without Star Trek. But I think that mm-hmm. um, I think Star Trek wouldn't have had as much of a cultural impact as it had if it was a crew of white dudes like every other sci fi yeah. show up to that point <laughs> had been. Yeah. You know, so I think a yeah. lot of what endures about Star Trek is the diversity of the crew. Mm hmm. Which yeah. obviously it was imperfect. It was the 1960s, and <laughs> they've built a lot more on that since then. But uh, I think when people look back on Star Trek. That's like the thing that that people will remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. And she got she got she got some better treatment in the animated series and in some of the books. I know. I mean, she of course. Yeah. We, all, we always talk about is it the Lorelai signal, the Lorelai trip? Is that the the title is Lorelai yeah. signal, right? Um, uh-huh. where she got to command the ship because yep. all the men were incapacitated, <laughs> things like that. And I always, I always love that. I, I love Alan Dean Boster's novelization of that as well. So uh, she lived on in, in cartoons and in the fiction as well, which I think is pretty cool. But you're right at the time she didn't get her due on the series. 
Yeah, and I think this is a character that will, will outlive Nichelle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they've already brought her back once in the and you know with a new actress with Zoe Saldana. And mm-hmm. we were yeah. it wasn't that long ago we were speculating that, about her being on Strange New Worlds. Yeah, uh, but I think Uhura is a character that really has captured people's imaginations, and so I think she's going to continue to be an inspiration to people like, even after she's gone. Right, right. There was a a line at the end of the documentary, um, which was included in the trailer. So we heard it back when they first released the trailer. Uh, But at the end, she's saying um, about getting involved in the space program. If I told them, if you let me in the door, I will swing it open so wide that you will see the entire world. (laughs) And I just think that's incredible. That's cool. I mean, for someone to have that kind of vision is, is just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what an amazing, what an amazing woman she is. And you can tell some of the legacy because I know as I as I watch a lot of um, NASA things, uh, such as when the um, when the, the the probes when the probes landed on Mars back in 2012, and when I watch some of the launches, you see that the people at Mission Control are such so much more diverse now. And I forget the guy's name, but back in 2012, there was one guy. He was. He was kind of he was considered kind of non-traditional. I think he had an earring and he was kind of cool. He were he'd come to work with a tie. <laughs> and NASA really, and at one point that NASA put him forward as a spokesperson. You know, kind of to your point to show, hey, look at what we can do now. And I watch a lot of mm. NOVA programs and stuff like that. And the number of women that they have now speaking from mm-hmm. JPL and NASA and so forth. It's completely different if you go back to the to the 70s. Uh, it, it's completely yeah. different. It's okay. it's just completely, you know, it's, it's it, it is definitely more diverse and a more all-inclusive thing and i think that is that's absolutely great yeah yeah now we just need a worldwide government and the worldwide space agency and i'm good yep <laughs> speaking for myself great. <laughs> <laughs> speaking for myself <laughs> now did you guys watch the, uh all the way through the credits in the documentary yes yes oh yes very end that was yeah. that was I, lovely I, I it's been a long time since i heard nichelle sing and i thought she was great. i know Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Fly me to the moon. Yeah. So yeah, just like a just like a, a Marvel movie. Stay through the credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she joins the Avengers at the very end. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Samuel Jackson oh, shows wow. up. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> well, did anyone have any closing thoughts? This past week, I was on uh, vacation in Florida with some friends, and we, of course, went to Kennedy Space Center, which is something that, you know, I I honestly hadn't done in quite a long time because I haven't lived in Florida in a couple of decades. Uh, So there was a lot of stuff that was new. And, uh, you know, the uh, shuttle Atlantis is there because that was it's. La- the final flight of the shuttle program and it landed in Kennedy. And so that's where it lays to rest. And it's just the most beautiful thing. Um, so after we finished uh, uh, going through the park and we're uh, coming up to the end of our day and we're leaving, we're going through the rocket garden, they call it. Um, and there's all these plaques from a bunch of different, uh, you know, uh, astronauts and, and directors and things like that. And the last plaque was of Nichelle Nichols. And each one of the plaques has a quote next to it. And uh, her quote was, science is not a boy's game. It's not a girl's game. It's everyone's game. It's about where we are and where we're going. Space travel benefits us here on Earth. There's more exploration to come. And so knowing that the documentary had just been released and having just spent an entire day looking at space shuttles and Saturn V rockets and stuff like that, and then seeing that plaque of Nichelle, her beautiful face, and that really awesome quote just made me so excited to uh, talk about this topic on tonight's episode. 
All right, so August 7th, we're going to be doing our first live panel. This is going to be a live video panel that we're, we're doing through a, a local convention that's going virtual this year called Treklanta. If you find the Treklanta Facebook group, um, they'll be doing a, a, it's what they're calling Treklanta on the holodeck this year. It's going out August 7th. And we don't know what time yet, but we're going to be doing a, a live panel. Yeah. Oh. Or do we know what time, Alan? Uh, well, there's a proposed schedule. Okay. But the proposed schedule is going to have to shift depending on uh, guest of honor. You know, I mean, they can say they want to have J.G. Hertzler at this time and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but if he's not available at that time, there's going to be some shifts. So I, I don't know right. exactly when we will be, but we will be sometime that day. We'll be on call August 7th. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> J.G. Hertzler to cancel and we have our moment to shine. <laughs> Actually, for us, that's probably a best case scenario. Everyone's yeah. tuning in for J.G. Hertzler and they get us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, can talk, we can totally talk about Klingons for the entire episode. Oh, and and Martok being, Martok being my favorite Klingon yes. character in the entire franchise. Yes, yes. Yeah. we could do that easily. Yeah, yes, that's a good idea. We've been banding about a few uh, potential topics, so we'll we'll settle on one before August seventh gets here. But if you want to see us as well as hear us, tune in August seventh in the Trekland on the holodeck, and we'll be there doing a live panel. And this is gonna be interactive, Alan. Yes, exactly. If we do it live, we will take uh, comments and questions from the audience. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if, if people want to find more of you on the internet, Alan, where, where can they find you? So my publishing company is Cosmic Press. You can find it at cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C.com. Um, and uh, I am involved in Hulanta, so you can find me there on Facebook group and uh, page. And my Sunday evening music show, which I uh, stream to YouTube and to my personal Facebook page. So go look for that because I got some great shows coming up, like the 40th anniversary of MTV. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Keith? You can find me on all the ESO network groups and Facebook and on Instagram. And how about us, Veronica? FeltDirty.com, which leads you to our Facebook page. Yep. Yep, and we've we've just agreed to do our well maybe our first return to this to doing live stage shows uh, at DragonCon. Yep. So we're we're, awesome. yeah, we're talking awesome. to them. And we're we're working on getting that that show together, and also we're working on another filmed piece that will be going out for yep. uh, for Treklanta. And I want to say really quickly that cool. uh, talking about Hulanta, uh, we just did our virtual con this past weekend uh, a week or so ago, and you guys produced. A piece for it. Yep. Your first filmed uh, puppet show. And I, A, a I want to say thank you very much for doing that. Um, I think it was a, a big hit. But secondly, I was so stinking impressed by what you came up with. I mean, it was so well written. It was really well filmed. Uh, the, the production on it was great. And I, I would, I just, it was just amazing. And so I think people, Find our Facebook page, Hulanta. Just search for Hulanta and you'll find our page. Click through the videos and look for that because it's really good. And I, I'm I'm so impressed with what you guys did. Well, so I, I humbly thank you. <laughs> well, we yeah, thank you for us. I agree. I went to go get bagels and I was watching it in the car. I watched the whole thing in the car. <laughs> that does not sound safe. <laughs> well, I was sitting. I was still. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We're working on our, that was our first one. We're working on our second one, which is supposed to be twice the length. So we're, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, I was, I was we're going to fill an hour. Yeah. I was killing myself getting the last one done. So we'll see how this goes. Right.
All right, Veronica, you have a, a an outro for us. Yes. Okay. Jaj B. I don't understand. Is that what it translates to? Is that what you? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I, thought, yeah, okay. I wasn't sure if you meant you weren't understanding what you were just what saying. What you said, right? <laughs> because yeah. that applies to me too. Uh, that's, that's often the case. Yes. So, jaj is I understand, and bay is a suffix, which may, makes it don't understand. So, jaj bay. All right. Cool. <laughs> Next week, all of our grove bits. <laughs> Next week, Veronica, you need to say sup. What's up in Klingon? I think it's just like, um, oh, I already know what it is, but it's like they're, well, it's they're for next week. Free. It's for next Cling week. Klingon Mach. I, I can tell you. I can tell you what it is. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.